ahorita lo más difícil que me ha pasado es lo de mi esposo de uh, septiembre 6 de septiembre ya va a ser tres meses que migración fue a, a la casa era las 7 de la mañana me cuesta platicar todavía esto a las 7 de la mañana íbamos al trabajo él trabajaba conmigo juntos tenemos ocho años y limpiamos casa y de repente migración fue en la mañana a la casa y se lo llevó y es algo muy duro para mí, para mis hijos y entré como en, en depresión y Dios me cuidó desde ese momento y Dios me ha cuidado siempre el estado conmigo, con mis hijos. Gracias a sus oraciones yo estaba cayendo en una depresión y yo no me estaba dando cuenta y como les digo ya va a ser tres meses y yo llegaba de mi trabajo a mi casa y, y ya tenía yo tres meses que yo mi, mi cama no la limpiaba, no, no limpiaba mi cuarto ni nada. Me llegaba y me encerraba. Estaba cayendo en una depresión y el martes dije, no, 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 esto no, no es para mí. Estoy tratando de... Me puse a limpiar mi cuarto y el miércoles le platicaba a los hermanos que que gracias a ellos, a sus oraciones, creo Dios me está sacando de esa depresión que yo no me, no me estaba dando cuenta de lo que estaba pasando, porque imagínense en tres meses sin limpiar mi cama, sin lavarla, no, no quería mover nada. Y ese martes yo me puse a limpiar todo, mo moví todo, todo y era, era demasiado para mí. Y todavía siento que entre más estoy... A, poniendo atención a lo de antes siento que más Dios me está ayudando de, de eso porque es muy difícil yo muy difícil estar sin mi esposo yo me la pasaba casi las 24 horas con él porque trabajábamos juntos y él se iba a la iglesia y al gimnasio y juntos siempre juntos o sea éramos muy muy unidos muy unidos y esto es muy duro porque me dicen que va a ser cuatro o cinco años lo que vamos a estar separados, pero mi esposo dice solamente Dios sabe el que es el que tiene la última palabra. Sufrí tanto de niña, sufrí demasiado, demasiado que nunca tuve un regalo o algo, sufrí tanto, pero ahora siento que Dios me ha dado todo eso que, que nunca tuve. Solamente Dios sabe por qué hace las cosas. Créanme que yo no he renegado ni he cuestionado a Dios ni nada porque eh, me ha acercado más a mis hijos. Toda la gente me dice que lo que estamos pasando, eh, Dios, algo bueno va a venir de esto, de todo esto. Y así lo cree mi esposo y, y lo creo yo. Siempre pedí a Dios una iglesia, creo como esta, porque es, ya estuve una, en una iglesia de americanos y me encantó cómo son los americanos y todo, y en ese momento me acordé del hermano y dije yo voy a ir a esa iglesia. Ya tengo, no sé, pues pienso que ya voy dos meses o algo y siento que he tenido mucho tiempo aquí, he encontrado, he encontrado amigos, he encontrado ese espacio que 
mi esposo me, me dejó, mis hijos están muy contentos aquí en la iglesia. Mi nombre es Socorro Román y esta es mi historia. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. Is Socorro here? She's not here? Okay. Yeah, you can imagine that would be hard even to watch. She shared from her soul uh, the situation in her life and in her family. And, and she, would, uh, she said it would be a little hard for me to watch it back. <laughs> but uh, I want her to know, and, and, and Wendy, you can tell her, and others can tell her, and she can watch this, how much we love her and what a blessing and a privilege it is to walk life with her as her church. And uh, she's an amazing woman, and she is uh, keeping it together. And we need to be praying for Socorro and all of her kids and business. And um, I'm just so thankful that she was willing to share her story with us. Aren't you? That's good. That's good. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about another uh, young woman who is extremely brave, has walked through some incredible struggle and pain of her own, but she did it because she had the presence and grace of God with her, just as you and I have today. Every one of us has the presence and grace of God, if we've chosen that in our lives, and he can help us through anything we face, right? And it's the reason Socorro's making it through what she's having to deal with right now. Um, but I want to talk to you this morning about the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've, we've talked a couple of weeks ago about the story of Zachariah and uh, Elizabeth. And in that story, you can't tell that story without telling a little bit of Mary's story, but uh, I want to talk to you specifically about Mary. What seemed to be a surprise for Mary when the angel showed up, maybe, right? And she's shocked and she's afraid and she's fearful. What seemed to be a surprise to her is not a surprise to God, right? Ephesians 1.4 says that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world. He had a plan to redeem us through Jesus long before the world was even created. And we see in the Old Testament, and we talk about these stories, and of course every story has to have an author, Right? And the author is writing this amazing uh, grand narrative, and within that meta-narrative of the story of God are all of our stories. And so we see in this little story, she might have seemed a little uh, surprised by the whole thing, but this is not a surprise to God. In fact, we see God speaking uh, to the enemy in the serpent form all the way back in Genesis. Look at Genesis 3.15, one of the prophecies of Mary. Genesis 3.15, 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, mind you. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a prophecy uh, not only of humanity and, and, and birth, but this is a prophecy of Mary specifically being the mother of Jesus uh, to, to, to beat the enemy ultimately. Look at Isaiah 7.14, 750 years before the birth of Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Of course, we've been talking about prophecies and, and scripture for a while and different things that, that have gone on. There are a ton of prophecies about Jesus, about his birth, about his life, about his death, his resurrection. 
And so we see this meta-narrative carrying on and this author sharing this story, giving us the foreshadowing and it playing out book after book and story after story. Uh, We talked a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth about the silence that was happening between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God was silent. He hadn't spoken. He hadn't spoken through uh, prophets. It was, uh, you can just imagine, just a, uh, a time of waiting and hopefulness, but also a time of darkness in the culture. And so we talked about the fact that God breaks that silence with an angel by the name of Gabriel. Remember that? And we hear Gabriel uh, in Scripture. We see Gabriel three times. We see him in Daniel. We see him just a little bit before this, six months before this, with uh, Zechariah in the temple. And then we see him come to Nazareth to make this announcement to Mary. So we know that Gabriel is kind of an angel. He, he, he stands in the presence of God, he tells Zechariah. But he's the, he's the type of angel that brings important announcements. And what an incredible announcement he's brought to Mary, that she is going to uh, give birth to the Messiah, to the Son of God. I like how Gabriel helps Mary. And you can just imagine being a 13, 14-year-old kid, uh, what she's trying to wrap her brain around all this information that, that, he's, that she's just gotten from the angel. But he helps her and says, hey, even your cousin, you know the cousin, Elizabeth, even your relative, she's pregnant. And you can imagine Mary going, whoa, whoa, she's kind of an old lady. That's not possible. This is impossible. And he's kind of going, right. In the same way, it, it's impossible for a virgin to conceive a child. He's like, right. However, nothing is impossible with our God, right? And it's just, I love the way he puts that. It's like he shows her these two scenarios that are impossible. It can't be done apart from the power and miracle of who our God is. Nothing is impossible with God. So this morning, I want to go back to some of that text that we read a couple weeks ago in Luke chapter 1. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, verse 26, we're going to continue our story about Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible or will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What's so interesting about this text and some of the things I want to kind of unpack for us this morning, we got to remember some things, okay? Who wrote the book of Luke is, it's an easy one, who is that? 
It's Luke. Good, honey. Good, yes. Um, it's an easy one. He wrote the book of Luke. But the thing you need to remember about Luke is he's a doctor, right? Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. And so he's educated. He, he knows details. And you want your doctor to, to not miss details, right? He, you want him to look at every single possible thing. And that's exactly what he does. Luke, in telling this story to his protege, Theophilus, he's wanting him to know Hey, I want you to know every detail. I want you to know everything about this story because it all matters. It all matters from, from all the way back from the beginning of time until the Lord comes again. This all matters. So I want to give you all the detail that I can. He gives us a few specifics that I want to remind you of. Number one, the first thing about this story is it's a historical event. You'll see in the beginning of chapter two, he, he lists some people and some events that happened at a, a specific date. This is a historical event. It happened in a specific place in Nazareth. This is a place you can go. Uh, I was there a few years ago, and there's a, there's a place in Nazareth where there's a church built over the place where they think uh, is where the angel came to announce this to Mary. We, who knows for sure? But there's, uh, it looks like old rock, you know, hewn out of the, the stone, literally, in a big, beautiful church around it. It's called the Church of the Annunciation. And there's artwork of uh, the Virgin Mary everywhere around the church. So who knows? But the thing is, is Luke is trying to help us understand this really happened. This is a historical event. Happened in a place, happened at a time. It's also a personal event. It happened to real people. Mary was a real person. She was a real girl. Somewhere between 13 to 15, this really happened. Jesus, real person. Really happened. This is a personal event. It's historical. It's personal. It's also a holy event. What he says: This Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Look at Stan. This is not just a myth. This is not just something I'm making up because it's a really cool story. He's saying, No, you need to understand. This is the plan of God. This is a holy event, not just something that happened in a place to a person but for a very specific reason. And the God of the universe is writing the story and intimately involved in it. This is a holy event. It's also a miraculous event. And I love that Gabriel says to Zechariah that he's gonna have this child, John the Baptist. And then he says to Mary, right? He says, nothing is impossible. Zechariah was an old man. And that's the first thing he said, but I'm an old man. My wife's an old lady, Remember? And then he lost his voice for the next nine months because he didn't believe. The thing that's different with Mary is she did believe. She still asked questions. She did believe. She just wanted to know some of the logistics. Now, how's this going to happen? I believe it's going to happen, but how's this supposed to work, right? This is a miraculous event. Nothing will be impossible with our God. And then I also want us to see this morning that, and I think this is so interesting if you think about it. Have you ever looked at scripture and go, how do they know that? How did Luke know all the detail of this, right? Have you ever asked that question? Well, it's very possible that Luke had first-hand account with Mary herself. It's very possible that Luke sat down with Mary and said, you got to tell me everything. Don't leave out a thing. I'm kind of a big, it's kind of a big deal to me to write down specifics. I want to know when, where, and who, and all that was said let, let, let's get it just right. Isn't that interesting? To think that, that Luke literally sits down with the mother of Jesus to get the Christmas story. Isn't that beautiful? 
And so we get this incredible detail of what happened. Have you ever had something happen in your life and it burns your memory, right? So we all remember where we were on 9-11. That's, a, that's kind of a good example to give. You can kind of go, oh yeah, I can go right back to that place. That's because something tragic or some, maybe something wonderful in your life at some point happened and in your memory is burned that story. Do you think Mary had this memory burned and etched into her soul? Do you think she remembered all the details of the story? You better believe she did. I can just see her smiling going, oh man, I was only 13. And just going through the details of this beautiful story, she, were, she was able to give those details because of how significant that moment and that story was. So what do we see from the text? We see this angel Gabriel. Uh, we also see that Luke tells us she's a virgin and she's to be betrothed or she is betrothed to uh, Joseph. Now, <laughs> I'm a father of an 11-year-old. She's about to be 12. I can't believe it. She's going to be 12 next month. And so to talk about a little girl with 13 having a baby, I'm like, <clears throat> no, thank you. Well, this is insane, right? This this is, of course, it's a different culture we live in, so I can't quite get my mind to their cultural uh, understandings and, and, and norms. But she's a little girl. She's somewhere between 13 to 15. We know that she's a, a virgin because uh, Luke tells us twice in this text that she's a virgin. We know she's a virgin because she raises the question. She says, um, how is this going to happen exactly? because I'm a virgin. Some of your translations say, uh, I've never known a man. Mary herself helps us to see that she's a virgin. Uh, it's in the Matthew gospel that she's a virgin. And then we see that this is a, a prophecy fulfilled from that Isaiah passage. The Lord himself will show you a sign and the virgin will conceive a child. But the problem is, often when God does something miraculous, the enemy wants to, sh to cloud it. And he wants to try and dispute it. From the first century, this has been disputed. Just in the same way, we see kind of a similar story happen in Jesus' death. And, and the Jews begin to start telling stories and lies to try and cloud the waters and help people to not believe. But the reality is, she was a virgin. If she wasn't a virgin, there would be no miracle. And if there was no miracle of the virgin birth, there would be no holiness of Jesus. Think about the implications of that. We wouldn't have a savior. We'd just have some guy born like you and me. But she was a virgin. She was a virgin. We know this to be true. And because of that, we have with us Emmanuel, God with us. Born with the holiness of God, therefore the son of God, and yet born of a woman and the son of man. Some of this was disputed and Back in the early church fathers in 325, there was a thing called the Nicene Creed where the church fathers said, listen, we got to make a statement that is important that everybody knows we believe that the virgin birth happened. And so they began to make statements like these to say, no, 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 we believe that Mary was a virgin. It's important that we know that. Well, this morning on the back of your card, turn your attention over there. There's a few things that I want us to see from Mary's life, Okay. As I studied this story and as I got to know Mary, I just, she's an amazing lady. She's amazing and so, and girl, she's a young girl. But there's so many things about her life that I just kind of begin to say, man, I want to learn from her. There's so many things we can learn from her response 
to God, examples that we can take from her life and we can apply them to how we love and live for Christ. And so I want us to take a look at those. Here's the first thing I notice about this text and about the story of Mary. The number one thing is this, the first thing. She lives a life that God favors. Do you notice that? She lives a life that God favors before the announcement and after the announcement. Her whole life is, is lived in such a way that God favors her. And I struggled with this a little bit. I'm like, what does this mean to be favored of God? What does it mean for me to live a life that's favored? Well, the one thing I'm pretty sure of is it doesn't mean that she earned this favor. It doesn't mean she was at the top of the Hebrew girl class and she gets to carry the Messiah, right? No. It's not the prize for being the top of the, that's not what happened. She didn't earn this favor. But what she, what she did was she aligned her life in such a way with the things of God, right? She was obedient to God so that her life could be used of God. And that's exactly what we need to hear this morning in the same way. We need to align our lives in such a way with the things of God, the people of God, the word of God. Be obedient to God so that our lives, in some way, however he sees fit, may be used of God. Her life was lived in such a way that it was favorable to the Lord. Gabriel mentions it twice. You're favored, oh favored one. You have found favor with God. It means that you have God's approval. He's fond of you. He supports you. What does it mean in your life to have the favor of God? Let's be aligned with the things of God. Here's the second thing. She responds authentically. Uh, Mary, you know, and what I like about this is Luke could have just kind of not put this part in there, right? He could have just made it all flowery and she said, yes, Lord, let it be. She, she doesn't do that immediately. She's authentic. She's struggling with this. Okay, first of all, remember we talked about the fact that when an angel shows up to anybody in Scripture, those people freak out. Remember that? When an angel shows up, you go, you freak out. Plus, she's 13. She's a little girl. My, my daughter doesn't hardly want to go upstairs to the dark room, you know, much less a, a terrifying angel show up. So on top of the angel thing, you're going to, receive, you're going to conceive a child. What? And not just a child, you're going to conceive the child, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He's going to change your life. He's going to change everyone's life. He's going to change all eternity. Do you think Mary maybe needed a minute? <laughs> you think maybe she went, what? You know, she's trying to wrap her brain around the significance of what has just been told her. And this is what it means to me as a believer in Jesus. It's okay to be shaken. When God says something in your heart and your life about some way that he wants you to serve him, something he wants you to do, it's okay for you to be shaken. I'll never forget when Lori and I were living in Houston and she was a DJ and she had a DJ show that, that went to like 11 at night and she had received a phone call while she was on the air and that phone call was about a job in Nashville, Tennessee. And we said, we don't really, we want to, don't necessarily live in Nashville and uh, we really loved what we were doing. But the Lord was in this call and we knew that. And she came home that night and she told me and it was about 11.30. We sat, I remember sitting in that chair until 4 a.m. praying, talking, and trying to take in our hearts and our minds what God is up to. It's okay to be shaken by the thing God calls you to. It's okay to be disrupted. What, God? 
It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be troubled. It's okay to be shaken. It's okay to ask questions. We see she asked questions. But the thing we need to know this morning is this. In the same way that God wanted to do this work in Mary, he wants to do a work in you. And it begins inside of you. And then it affects the world around you. And probably your first question to the Lord is going to be, how? She said, God, I don't understand the logistics of this. And he had to explain this is a a miraculous event. And listen, if I could tell you one thing that I've noticed in my life, in the call of my life in ministry, 27 years, I've watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle. I've seen him be good and better and better. That's who he is. And that's what he does. When he calls us to something, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to ask questions. But we trust that he's a God of miracles and he will make a way when he calls you to do something. Amen? She responds authentically. Uh, I love the fact that in, uh, in the story later on in Luke chapter 2, verse 19 and 52, it talks about the fact that Mary, she, she one verse in 19 says, she treasures up all these things in her heart. Verse 52 says, and she pondered all these things. This is the third time in these several verses where she's having to, hang on just a minute, right? She's having to just, let me just, let me just think this through. Let me ponder this. Do you, do you do that very often? Where you just stop and you go, I just need to think about the goodness of God. I just need to think about what God's calling me. I just need a minute. Sometimes we don't make time. We all have time, by the way, okay? But sometimes we don't make time on, on, during the week to do that. So Sunday morning is a beautiful time. And I find myself every Sunday morning, I'm doing it this morning, honestly, I kept, Daryl, I was trying to sing. I promise you, I was trying to sing. But every time I'd start to sing of something of God's goodness, I couldn't. I just begin to ponder how good he is, how much he loves me, how kind he is in my life and my family, how kind he is to our church. And I would just treasure those things up in my heart and I could barely worship. Do you make time in your, in your heart, in your schedule to really ponder, to really worship, to really enter the mystery that is our God, that he is the holy God of the universe and yet he loves you because of Jesus. Do you take time to do that? Here's the next thing. She humbly receives God's will as his servant. She humbly receives his will as a servant. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Before there's any qualifications, I'm a servant. God, I'm your servant. And then she says, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. This just reminds me, yes, there can be a season of question. There can be a season of shaking. There can be a season of being troubled. But that season at some point needs to end. At some point it needs to end. It doesn't mean that we can't continue to question and wonder, but what she did is she made a decision. Even if she still had questions. Even if she's still trying to figure it out, a season of troubled questions and worry ended and she said, Lord, I'm your servant. I make a decision to be your servant, to follow you. We have to make a decision in our hearts. Could be that God moved in your heart at youth camp 30 years ago. And to this day, you remember saying no to God. 
Could have been last week. It could have been five years ago or two months. I don't know. But at some point in our walks with Christ, if we're truly going to serve him, if we're truly going to know him, not just do church, not just go to a service, not just put a label over our lives and say, sure, I'm a Christian. No, if we're going to be a Christ follower, we've got to make a decision. And that decision is, God, I'm your servant. And that's going to change everything about what I do and who I am and how I'm going to live. I'm going to follow you with all that I am. See, what I think is interesting about this story is Mary knew that This story she was caught up in, this incredible story teetering between the Old Testament and the writing of the New, she knew this wasn't her story. And in however much time it took her to to go from questioning to saying, I'm a servant, she had to say, this is not my story, God. I'll be the servant in this story. I'll be the servant. She knew God had a plan for her life and She knew her answer was yes, no matter what it was. I kept thinking about uh, the scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Listen, Christian, if you know Jesus to be your savior, you've said, Lord, I'll be your servant. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'll serve you, whatever you ask, whatever you say for me to do, I'll be obedient to you. But some of us are still chasing our own plan, our own dream, our own desire, the thing that has been on our hearts. And listen, God uses those things. I I believe with all my heart. But sometimes we can hold on so tight to that dream. We can hold on so tight to that desire to have a child, that desire to be married, that desire for this degree, that desire for this job, and we forget that God has plans sometimes that are greater than our desires. He's a better dreamer than we are. I can tell you this for sure. Don't expect to ever be favored of God, to ever be used of God or blessed of God if somehow you've decided that your plan is better than his. Don't ever expect him to favor you when you go, no, God, I got this. This is my life. Here's the next thing. She believed all that God had said. She believed it. She said, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And as believers in Jesus, we got to say the same thing. God, Lord, let my life be obedient to your word. Let me trust that your word is true and let me live by it. But you know what I see in in our culture is the the, uh, believer buffet. You know what I mean? We open the word and we go, ooh, I like that part. Let's do that part. Let's not talk about that part. I don't really want to do that part. And we pick and choose the, the Bible buffet. <laughs> no. She said, Lord, I'm a servant, no qualifications. Let it be to me according to your word. Her culture wants to change the power and the truth of the word. But let me tell you something. True servants don't get a say in how they serve. True servants just go, God, I'm a servant. Where do I go? What do I do? What would you have me do? They realize it's not my story, Lord, it's yours. But I'll tell you what we do get to understand. We get to study the word of God. And in the next few months, South City, I'm gonna really challenge you with some things about studying the word of God. I'm gonna really challenge you about knowing the word of God because he's given it to us. Do we know it? 
Have we mastered it? Do we understand it? Can we defend it? Do we love it? Do we live it? Because those are the things we can do with the word of God. And I I would dare say many of us don't do that. God, give us a heart and a love for your word. Here's the next thing. She obeys the Lord. She takes him for his word and she just obeys, not just in this moment, but for the rest of her life. We see her obeying the Lord. The entirety of of Mary's life is a, a life lived in obedience. Now, obviously, at the Christmas season, we bring a whole lot to Mary. We shine a big light on Mary because she's a huge, you know, she's kind of a main character, right, in Christmas. But let me tell you something. After the birth of Jesus, she goes from main character to a very much supporting character. She goes very much from the lead role to very, very sidelined story. But when we see her in the context of her life through Scripture, she's okay with it. You know why? It's not her story. Only time you have a problem with the story is when you're trying to make it your own. But you'll be okay with the story if you go, what's my part, God? Is my part being available to this person that's asking for food on the side of the street? I can go help. Is my part being available in the food pantry? Is my part being available to love on people at our church? Someone at work, what is my part? But God, I don't have to be the main character. I can be the side, tiny bit character. I struggled with this in my own life. You know, many of you know that my dream, I had a big dream. I chased it for a long time, almost 20 years, was to be a a Christian music artist, a songwriter, recording artist to travel around. And by God's grace and love and kindness, he gave me some of those moments to do some of that. He was very kind in that way. And and about 10 years ago, the Lord began to move me out of that. And uh, I wasn't real sure about the moving out part. I remember kind of going, huh? Huh? This is the plan. Wait, you gave me a plan. This is my dream, and I was holding on so tight. This is the plan. This is the dream. This is the gifting you've given me. And I came to the place where I was so tired. I was so exhausted. God finally used that exhaustion to open up my hands and go, you got to be a better dreamer than I am, Lord. And I literally remember praying this prayer, Lord, I'm going to let go of the wheel, and if, we, if this career, as much as it was, careens off the side of the road and hits a tree, then I'm going to be okay with that. I let go of the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel, literally, I said. I'm too exhausted. And God began to use that surrender of my dream to begin to shape his dream in me. You might have a dream. You might have a plan. But I want you to know, friends, we got to release that dream to the Lord. He's a better dreamer than you. He knows you better than you know yourself. I, I, at times, go back and forth and still want to sing. I still want to go out and perform, and sometimes I still have those desires. In fact, the last week or two, I've literally had three phone calls uh, and, and texts from friends of mine who are in the industry and doing really well, and all three of them called for one reason, which is, just blows my mind. They called to encourage me. I mean, one, two of these within a couple of days of each other just to say, hey, we just want, I just want you to know I've been listening to some of your music. Please don't stop singing. I know you're being obedient to the Lord in pastoring, but don't stop using your gift. And I remember kind of going, okay. 
But the beautiful piece of that, it was just this encouragement to me. But see, the thing is, is this. It's not my story. I laid that down. I surrendered. It's his story. And he can use whatever gift I have, however he wants to, whenever he wants to, because it's not mine to use. It's his. And I've surrendered it to him. You know what happens when we surrender? I mean, when we let go, you know what happens? The Spirit of God gives us Worship like you can't imagine. Look what happens to Mary's life. After the angel tells her this, she, she runs off to find her cousin. She wants to confirm. Now, he said that she was six months pregnant. Well, let's see, right? And when she sees, she walks in, and Elizabeth does her thing, and the Spirit fills Elizabeth, and she says her prayer. It's this beautiful moment. Mary knows that God can do impossible things, and the Messiah is in her womb. We see this happen in the stories we, we talked about Hannah. The Lord fills her with the Spirit and, he, and she sings this song or says this poem. It happens in uh, Elizabeth. It happens in Zechariah. Now it's happening in Mary. And she begins to speak out this beautiful uh, piece of work that, that we call in the Latin the Magnificat. And it's a beautiful text that I want us to look at this morning. After she's met with Elizabeth, Luke 1, 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's this beautiful work. It's beautiful. And the thing that I, I'm so reminded of this is as God begins to show himself in our lives, in, in, in the things that he's calling us to, we should be better worshipers. Like our worship should grow. We should be uh, more passionate about worship as we know Jesus more. We should be more demonstrative in our worship as we know Jesus more. Because it's like a muscle that we're learning and we're growing and we're trusting and we're surrendering. And that's what we see in this anointed, beautiful moment. If you grew up in a Catholic tradition or Anglican tradition, you probably spoke the Magnificat in Latin. And it's a beautiful work. It reminds me that, that Mary grew up as a, as a good Hebrew girl. She would have been very familiar with different psalms. Look at some of these psalms that, are, that sound so familiar. Psalm 6930, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. What she just did. Psalm 34, one through three, sounds so much like her prayer. She says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Doesn't that sound like what she just prayed? You see, when your life is surrounded by the word of God, it's going to come out in your words. It's going to come out in your actions. It's going to come out in your heart. And that's what we see in Mary. She loves the word and now we're seeing those things come out. By the way, if you want to know uh, the heart of a songwriter, I mean, if you really want to know what makes them tick, 
read the lyrics of their songs. It's their journal. It's their diary. And that's exactly what we get to see. It, it starts off with some personal applications, right? And then it goes to a prophetic voice, which is beautiful. A few things I want to talk about in this, uh, not all of it, but I want to just hit a couple of things in this song, poem, prayer that she sings and says. The first thing is this. You know, there are many traditions of Christianity that believe certain things about Mary, right? They believe that Mary uh, in some way is holy. They believe in some way Mary can hear your prayers and, and do something with your prayers. They believe that Mary um, can forgive your sin. Can I say something to you very clearly from the word of God? She cannot. She cannot. Mary was a sinner. Mary was broken and in desperate need of salvation. That's why she said in this Magnificat, she said, my spirit rejoices in God, my what? Savior. If Mary's holy, why does she need a Savior? She's not holy. She's the lowly that he's exalted. She's the broken that he's healing. It's so important especially for our Hispanic congregation to understand the truth of the word of God. We can't just believe religions of man. We've got to look at the word of God and always go by it and it alone. In John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 25, it's a very sad, um, descriptive verse. It says this, but standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. Moms, can you imagine such a thing? Crucifixion was the most awful form of torture and death known to man. And yet, she stands next to her son and watched, watches him die. In that moment, she knows that though she bore this man, this child, that in this moment, he bears her sin. She gets that he is her savior. Think about Elizabeth saying the same thing. My God, my king, my Lord, who am I that he would come to me? Mary is not holy. She's a sinner just as we are. And I think about the, the verse in Mary, Did You Know? The great song. It says, and this uh, child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary was in need of a savior. I love other stories about Mary's life. I'll hit a couple of them really quickly here. That just shows us Mary's humanity. Mary's just a human mom. My mom is here, and she's an amazing mom. Some of our family's here with us today. We love you, mom. We call you blessed. <laughs> she's been a godly mom. But can I just, and moms just in general, can I say you're my heroes? Moms, you're amazing. Seriously. You're amazing, ladies. You're amazing. Unbelievable. But you're not perfect. Right? <laughs> None of us are perfect. And, and you as moms would go, yeah, no, I know that. Right? Neither was Mary. There's a couple of stories that show her human imperfection. And I'll just kind of touch on them for a moment. There's a story where Jesus is 12 years old. We don't know a lot about his youth, but we do know this little, this little section that their family was traveling 
And they would travel in these caravans and for two days, this very human mom didn't know where her 12-year-old son was. That doesn't sound like super great parenting to me. You? It's kind of like back in the day, they would be like, hey, you're going to be with the Johnsons. You're sleeping over back in their tent thing, right? Okay, great. No worries. But two days, she didn't know where her son was. And when she realizes, when her and Joseph, they realize Jesus is not here. They do what you do when you lose something, right? You, you trace your steps. You go back two days to where you were. And they find Jesus in the temple. And he's debating the scholars and the priests. And they're like, they can't believe his wisdom. And it helps Mary go, oh yeah, he's not mine. And this is not my story. He's Messiah. There's another story of, of her uh, and Jesus at the wedding at Cana. It's the place where the first miracle is going to take place. And what I love about that story is you get the sense that Mary loves parties. And she's at the party and, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm inferring a few things here, but I'm just telling you, I know moms and relationships. But you just get this sense that she kind of was looking around. She's like, oh, they're out of wine. Hmm. Looks at Jesus, right? And he's just like, you know, come on, mom. She's like, there, <clears throat> did you hear they're out of wine? Right? And Jesus is like, Jesus literally says, woman, my time has not come yet. That's what he says. But then Mary shoots him one of those mom looks. You ever gotten one of those mom looks? I know Miss Judy's got a mom look. She, she would shoot that look from the organ down here to people that weren't her children, Right? Kids in the youth group, she could shoot that mom look and you would know, I better shut up or she's going to destroy me. So there's going to be a laser from the organ, you know, kills me right here. I just get the sense that Mary shot a mom look to Jesus. And though his time had not come a few minutes ago, all of a sudden his time came a few minutes later. You know what I mean? And so Jesus gathers some huge barrels of water and he turns water into wine. There's so many beautiful pieces of that story, but one of them is we get to see the humanity of a relationship between a mother and a son. Was she pushy? I don't know. Did Jesus give her grace and move forward? I don't, I don't know. But the thing is, is she's not perfect. You're not perfect. We're not perfect. She's a mom. She says in the Magnificat, the generations will call me blessed. And some of you would say, well, what is about that? What about, you know, the fact that generations will, she'll be the blessed Mary. Listen, the only reason she's blessed, the only reason she will be called blessed for generations is because of the grace of God that she will bear the son of God. The blessing is only in Jesus. That's it. Yeah, she'll be connected to this story and that, therefore she is blessed. But that blessing is not contingent upon her own holiness or her divinity because she has none. In fact, the name Mary means exalted one. She's exalted in this story because of God's grace. Nothing more, nothing less. And then here's the last point before we go. She remains faithful in suffering. When you look at the whole story of Mary, she just continued to rock along. Faithfully serving Jesus, faithfully loving people, faithfully involved in the mission and the advancement of the kingdom of God and the church. That's what we see. Right after seeing her, her dying son on the cross, she, she acknowledges him as Messiah, obviously, that he is, you know, God told Joseph, name him Jesus because he will save 
his people from their sins. She got to see him do that on the cross. She knows he's Messiah and she knows that he has delivered all of mankind if they so choose because of that work on the cross. And so now Jesus has been raised. Jesus is giving encouragement to the disciples. He's giving them some specifics about the mission of God. And this is in Acts, the book of Acts. When I think about the book of Acts, I think about the apostles and miracles. I don't think about Jesus as much. Or I don't even think about Mary for sure. But they're both there in the first chapter. Jesus, just before Jesus ascends, he says, the spirit will come on you in in Acts 1-8. And he'll bring power. And with that power, you'll be my witnesses into Judea and Samaria and uttermost parts of the earth, right? And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And look with me in Acts 1, what happens after that. Acts 1.12 says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, uh, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the last thing we hear about Mary. And I love it. I love it because it says that Mary didn't slip into obscurity after her big starring role, right? It says she really believes this. She's willing to follow not just Jesus, my son. She's willing to follow Jesus, my Messiah. She's willing to be involved advancing the kingdom in mission. And staying engaged in the church. Listen, some of you may feel like your time has passed. You're not, the, you're not in the spotlight anymore. You don't lead that ministry. You don't, you're not a part of that committee. You don't get to do those things like you used to. Can I tell you, just because you're not on the front lines doesn't mean that you can't be on the sidelines because God is not done with you. He is not finished with you. Mary continuing to advance the kingdom of God and be engaged in the church. I just love that picture. Here Mary's with the disciples. A little bit later in Acts, we learn there's about 100 of them. She's a founding part of the church. She's a big part of continuing to trust the mission of Jesus to the world. We learn a lot from this beautiful woman, what it means to trust God with our lives, to know that it's his story and not ours. And as we close, just a couple of things to remind you. She learned uh, and she showed us that we need to live a life that favors God. To align our lives in such a way with the things of God, the people of God, so that we can be obedient to God and so that our lives will be used of God. Follow that back. If you're not in alignment with the things of God, don't expect to be used of God. Align your life in such a way that God finds favor in you. And do so with authenticity. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be freaked out a little bit. But he's a miracle-working God. And he can use even some goofball like me. He can use you. But get out of the question stage. Get out of the terror stage and into the obedience stage. Into the confidence stage. Into the I'm your servant stage. Do with me, Lord, whatever you choose according to your word. It's not my story. It's yours. And then lastly, stay engaged in the mission of God and the church. And that's what Mary did. And that's what we learned from her story this morning.
Hey, listen, maybe, like I said, maybe God was moving in your heart at one time in your life and, and you just kind of put up a roadblock. No, 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 no. I'm not ready. No, no, no. I want you to know it's not too late today to respond like Mary responded. Yes, she questioned. Yes, she was troubled, but then she made a decision to follow God, to say yes to this mission. Whatever you want, my life is yours. It's not too late, friends, to choose that path today. It's not too late. Maybe you've lived your life kind of like I had for a long time about this being my story and this being my dream and you're holding on to something so tight. Can I just encourage you? Let go. Let go and trust that God has got a better dream than you could ever imagine. He might use you in ways that you would never expect. And what may start with tears of fear and question may end with tears of joy and blessing and God's goodness because we could never expect what he could do because nothing, friends, nothing is impossible with God. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the story of this woman. This human, broken, flawed, sinful woman who understood your grace, who understood her need for mercy and salvation, who understood you as her savior. God, thank you for her examples this morning of how to live, how to serve you, how to continue a life of obedience, even in great, great suffering, even in great questions, even in fear and doubt, just the confidence to say, Lord, I'm your servant and that's all I need to know. Just tell me what and where, when I'll go. But Lord, there may be some people in this room this morning that they've pushed God, they keep pushing him away. And it's only by his grace that they sense his spirit again this morning. God, in that grace, would you just draw them to yourself? Lord, if this altar is a place where they can come and pray, if, if one of our elders or pastors could be here for them to pray with, Lord, we are available. But Lord, may we say yes, and may we be faithful as Mary has been faithful to serve you, to seek you, to follow you. And that's our prayer this morning, Jesus. In your wonderful name.